was a little bit interested in bushwalking and uh, would say that um, I've caught past that. <laughs> There's a, a, a saying that Diana and I share, you know, walking's for paupers, far better off riding the bike. And uh, that's kind of where I'd like to go uh, right now. But here we are. One of the pieces of advice that we were given was, though, if you got lost in the bush, uh, this is what you had to do. I don't know if you remember being given this advice years ago. The best way to find your way out of a lost situation was to find a watercourse and follow the watercourse downstream until you came across some sort of civilization, a house or a town or a village. And I guess, in some senses, that principle makes sense, doesn't it? Because 85% of Australians live on the coast. And so if you are lost somewhere in the bush, eventually as you go downstream you'll come to a town typically built on a river or a stream. Or worst case scenario, you'll get to the beach, I guess. (laughs) Now I wonder whether that advice changed when someone got lost out near Ayers Rock. Because... Clearly, uh, that advice doesn't work there. But the advice years ago was your salvation will be found eventually if you follow any water course, doesn't matter which one, eventually it will lead you to a place of salvation. That advice has, of course, changed. So if you are lost in the bush now, what should you do? Stay put because people will come looking for you. But I thought that was rather illustrative of some thinking which is quite typical in our society nowadays which says, and it's very attractive thinking too, let me tell you, that all religions will get you to that same place, that place of salvation in the same way that if you follow any water course it will eventually get you to a township and you'll be saved. It's a very attractive kind of thinking Uh, which is quite pervasive in our community. In fact, it's one of the objections that's often put to Christianity. You know, what do you Christians think? You are arrogant in making statements about Jesus being the only way because all religions will get to the same place. I was having a conversation some years ago with a guy uh, by the name of Muhammad Kanyari who was the Uh, leader of the Islamic community in the city that I was working in and uh, we met on the street one day and got chatting. It was a very friendly conversation and at the end of the conversation Muhammad clapped his hand on my shoulder and said, it's good to have this conversation, you and I. We're both spiritual men and uh, after all we worship the same God. And I kind of, I'd love to unpack with you, you know, what that means or doesn't mean. But what I wanted to do was tell you that in that moment, I badly wanted to be conciliatory and say, yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? Such is the draw of what we call pluralism. Pluralism, this idea that all truths have equal value. This morning we want to start a series, we're going to start this last week, but just a a brief one this morning, a a look at some of the silly things that smart people believe. And one of the silly things that smart people believe is that all religions lead to the same end goal. That doesn't matter which pathway you are on, uh, you will eventually get there. It's, uh, It's a problematic proposition but one that is very attractive because 
we can't deny the urgency that there is in our society to try and build bridges across cultures and even across religions. We want to do that, don't we? We want to have good relationships in our multicultural context. And we also have to acknowledge that religious differences have been the source of significant conflict, the cause of much misery and much bloodshed. And so the pluralist comes along, the pluralist who says there's lots of roads to the same objective and says, you know what, let's just acknowledge that this is the case, that you can actually get to the, to the same place. And in fact, one of the arguments the pluralist put actually centres on an elephant. You might have heard of this uh, illustration before. You see, uh, when it comes to describing God, uh, different religions do it kind of like this, if you have a look at this elephant. Uh, here are four men who are describing an elephant. The one who grabs the trunk says, ah, an elephant is like a big snake. That's what an elephant is like. The one who grabs the, uh, the front leg says, ah, the elephant's actually like a tree stump. And the one who's grabbing the elephant by the ear says it feels like a, a, an elephant is this great big sheet of leather. And the one who grabs his tail very dangerous place to stand in relationship to an elephant, says an elephant's like a furry mouse. And the pluralist says that you different religious organisations, you different religions, you're, you're just like these blind men trying to describe an elephant. You see, you Christians, you're saying God is like this, but the Muslim saying God is like that, and the Hindu is saying God is like this, and the Zoroastrian saying God is like this, and keep on going when in actual fact you're all describing the same thing. It's quite an attractive proposition, isn't it? I want to kind of equip you with some tools of what we call apologetics. As we engage with our community, these are the kind of questions and objectives, uh, objections that uh, we will typically receive and it's worth being able to answer them. Is this a reasonable proposition? Do all religions only describe... Uh, the, the same thing from different perspectives. Well, first of all, let me say to you, I think this, uh, this illustration is terribly arrogant because essentially the person who's saying that all religions describe the same thing is saying, I've got a bigger view of the world than you do. I can actually see what you can't see. That's a very arrogant place to be in. The other problem is uh, that... Uh, these conflicting truth claims actually do conflict. There are things that various religions claim that conflict with others. And so uh, when we talk about the law of mutual exclusion, if you claim truth here and you claim truth there, but those truths conflict, they can't both be true, right? I prepared this message a couple of weeks ago, uh, as you'll see by this slide. Australia won the first and second tests against New Zealand December 2019. I could have added prophetically the third test, but I thought I'd better not. <laughs> Is this a true statement? You're not sounding very confident. <laughs> Is this a true... It is a true statement. You know, history will tell us Australia won the first and second tests against New Zealand in December 2019. That automatically means that there are other statements that become untrue. Statements like... New Zealand won the first and second tests against Australia in 29 is an untrue statement, no matter how true 
a person from New Zealand might want it to be. And when we come to think about uh, this claim that all religions lead to God, uh, we have to deal with this fact that there are statements that are in conflict, that there are tensions between these truth claims. Let me just give you a couple of them really quickly. Some tension between the, uh, between the claims about the ultimate reality. There is a vast chasm of difference between religions that would claim, as, for instance, Islam does, that there is one God, Allah. Christians and Jews uh, stand in that same place. There is but one God. That automatically excludes the possibility of claims that a Hindu person might make to say that there are millions of gods. Can the claim that there is one God and there are, uh, the claim that there are millions of God be held in tension? No, they can't. And so we have a tension here around uh, the nature of ultimate reality. Let's talk about another one of the tensions here too, the area of the fate of individuals at death. What does the scripture say? Let's have a look at uh, the Christian view here from Hebrews. It says, Jesus has appeared once for all for the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away sins of many. He will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So Christians would say... Uh, the, uh, the fate of individuals at death is to, uh, to face judgment and uh, the results, according to God's perfect knowledge, will be worked out. Hindus, by contrast, assert that people will live many lives. Buddhism, uh, you might be familiar with, teaches reincarnation. For those of you who've ever travelled to uh, Thailand or familiar with uh, Buddhist temples, you know how the roof works? That's actually... Uh, designed to teach, uh, to teach Buddhism the way they construct the roof on a temple. For each life that is reincarnated becomes a little refined, a little more refined, a little more refined, a little more holy, if you like, as you go up and up and up. What do you notice right at the top of the roof? A tiny little spire disappearing into nothingness. Because the ultimate aim... The ultimate goal of Buddhism is to achieve an exalted state of nothingness. Strikes me as being a little disappointing after all that hard work. What is the aim of Christianity? To be in God's presence. So again, uh, significant tensions in uh, the fate of individuals at death and also just uh, another piece of evidence too of this tension, this conflict, uh, a tension around what's understood as this universal problem that affects humanity. So Hindus, for example, claim that the problem uh, facing humanity is what's known as samsara, this cycle of birth and death and rebirth in which we are trapped. Romans 23, though, says the problem is this, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have these three areas that are in tension, this nature of the ultimate, the fate of individuals, this universal problem, that bring us a conflict. Coming back to the illustration that uh, we used earlier, uh, this conflict in these two statements. We can't hold truth in conflicting statements. We can't say that all religions lead us to the same place when they make opposing uh, and conflicting claims. It's obvious that those statements 
can't be reconciled. So we cannot say that all religion leads to the same place. That brings us to the other alternative then, which says, well, all paths do not lead us to the same place. And typically there are some objections to this. Uh, first of all, it's often argued that um, making a claim to say that, you know, that not all religions lead to, uh, to God is arrogant or intolerant. And second, it's frequently suggested that truth actually not really that important anyway. What matters really is whether you're sincere, right? We talked about that in the children's talk last week. You can see why that, which we did last week, would have worked so well this morning. Does sincerity matter? Yes, it does. Is sincerity all there is? No, it isn't. I'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about tolerance for just a moment, though, because tolerance is a central value in contemporary culture. That is, as long as you don't claim to have truth, you'll be tolerated. If you claim to have truth, you'll be labelled as intolerant. (coughs) Now, tolerance is a great quality. It's certainly something we should foster and encourage in our world because the history of our world is filled with the consequences of religious bigotry, holy wars, religious crusades inquisitions and the like. Let me say really clearly up front and I wish that uh, that history would actually proclaim this loud and clear. This advice, carrying out violence to advance the cause of Christ is actually an act of disobedience to Christ. Carrying out violence to push forward the cause of Christianity is an act of outright disobedience to Jesus. Jesus never asked us to do that. And he never asked us to do that because trust and love can't be forced, can it? Trust and love can't be made to happen. You can't force your children to love you. You can force them to obey you, perhaps. You can force them to do stuff, but you can't uh, force trust or love. But it's important that we don't confuse tolerance with truthfulness. And here we come back to uh, the statements that we have on the screen behind me. Australia won the first and second and the third test against New Zealand in 2019. Imagine if someone heard me say that, if, if <laughs> heaven forbid this happens, somebody in our congregation stood up and said, that's intolerant. What would we do with that? It would be awkward, wouldn't it? Because we've got this tension between intolerance or tolerance and truthfulness. It's still a true state. I might have said it in an arrogant way. I might have said, hey, you know, Australia won the test, ha, ha, ha. That's uh, that's just unpleasant. But it doesn't change the truth. We're never called to be offensive in communicating the truth, but the truth still remains there. And when we uh, talk this through with people, when we're examining claims of religious traditions, we need to be careful not to confuse tolerance and truthfulness because claiming that it's intolerant to say that all paths do not lead to the same destination misses the point. So if I was talking with someone, they said, gee, that's into- you Christians are very intolerant, they're actually missing the point. It's not tolerance that's the point. It's whether it's true or not that actually matters. We mustn't confuse those things. The second objection, of course, was uh, sincerity. Someone might say, 
What a person believes is not that important as long as they are sincere. Back in the day when we were running on bore water, the toilet used to get a little bit um, caked up with some sort of calcium carbonate or something like that. The bore water would leave deposits on the, on the, uh, on the pan. And so from time to time, the best way to clear it was to give it a good dose of hydrochloric acid. First time I ever did it, thankfully... I actually removed the pan from the house, put it on a hill just out in the backyard and poured in the hydrochloric acid and guess what happened? A volcano <laughs> of uh, chemical reactions, right? It, it was amazing. That stuff is unbelievable. But you know what? If I was to bring a, a beaker of hydrochloric acid here into the church this morning and I'd say to you, look at that, here I have a beaker of hydrochloric acid and if Michael said to me, I don't believe that's hydrochloric acid and I said to him, Michael, it is hydrochloric acid, he said, I don't think that's hydrochloric acid. In fact, I just think that that beaker that you're holding up there this morning is water. Let's just grab one while we've got one here. And he said to me, I'm going to prove to you that I don't believe that that's hydrochloric acid, that I, I sincerely believe it's water. And he took a great big swig. What's going to happen? Probably not quite such a spectacular chemical reaction has happened in my toilet, but something terrible is going to happen because sincerity does not change truthfulness. Just because you believe something with all sincerity doesn't necessarily make it true. We need to be very careful to distinguish the object or the state of affairs. Our sincerity may lead us to be sincerely wrong. Just quickly, what does the Bible say about other religions? Let me take you just for a moment to Isaiah chapter 44. It's a great chapter because in this chapter, this is what the Lord says. The Lord Almighty, I am the first, I am the last. Apart from me, there is no other. And throughout the Bible... The scriptures insist that there is one God and that all other gods, however they might be shaped, wherever they might be found, are, as the scripture tells us here, worthless, they are man-made, they are self-worship, they are detestable, they are illogical, they are powerless, they are deluded. There is a consistent theme running right through the Old and the New Testament indicating to us that there is no God apart from the Lord God. Jesus made some very exclusive truth claims too. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's one that is very well known. Jesus said also there in John chapter 6 verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the one who will nourish you. In John chapter 10 verse 9, I am the gate. He didn't say, I am one of the gates Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If you want a strong, unambiguous claim to truth, there is one there. There is nowhere else we can go to find salvation. So this claim that, the, that all religions lead to the same place, not only is it incongruent when it comes to rational thinking, it uh, stands in total tension with what the scripture teaches. So finally, the question, how do we respond to people who say, well, all religions lead to God? Let me suggest to you four things. First of all, much humility, because they're exploring they're interested in conversation. There's no room for arrogance uh, 
We are but beggars who have found food, sharing it with those who have none. We need to be positive. Peter and Paul, you might remember their stories through the scriptures, uh, took opportunities to talk with people. They didn't tear down what others believed, they told others what they believed. Back in the day, when the, uh, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses used to come knocking on my door, I'd think, great, here's an opportunity, I'll get right into them. And, uh, you know, I read up on all of the cults and I could argue with them. And then it struck me one day, you know what, that actually wasn't very loving. And actually what I was doing was driving their belief deeper because they were having to argue their case. And so from that day forward, I thought I'll try a new strategy, a strategy they have no defence against. I'll just tell them what Jesus has done in my life. Hey, that's transforming because they're hearing a personal story. And they can't argue with personal stories. Remember one time, I was sharing this just recently with some family members, one of the guys uh, rolled up at the door one day and as is often the case, you know, uh, are you worried about the end of the world? It's a good starting point for conversation and they expect you to say, yes, I am, you know, what's going to happen? Third world war on our doorstep, whatever. And I just said, no. Why not? So Jesus has got it under control. Let me tell you about him takes the heat right out of that so (laughs) be positive be respectful Uh, the people that we're speaking with have been made in the image of God and finally be courageous you know I we talk a lot about these difficult days that we're living in the challenges that the church faces I'm increasingly convinced these are going to be some of the best days for the church This time that we're living in is so much like it was in the days of the early church. There was persecution, there was opposition, there were challenges coming their way, yet they responded by being the hands and feet of Christ. There was a sifting out of of truth and faithfulness. There was an opportunity for them to decide, you know, am I really serious about my faith or not? And we're facing the same sort of days in our times. I think it'll be a great time for the church to be the church for Christians to be Christians we shouldn't fear it we shouldn't be anxious about it but uh, trust God uh, through this time Michael Green evangelism uh, author put it this way he said in response to the challenges of pluralism far from closing our options pluralism allows us to proclaim an undiluted gospel in the public square and in the supermarket of faiths allowing others the same right let truth prevail and let craven silence be banished. Get to know more about Jesus and your courage will grow. Here's the message of Christianity, the message of hope that we have. Only Christianity says that the King of the universe came into this world. The Son of God, Jesus, died horribly to atone for the guilt of his rebel subjects. This thought is not found in any other religion, no other fiction, no other story. Other religions without exception are about people's best efforts to reach God and that's the heart of religion. That's actually what religion is all about. This search for God and the human effort in the process. As I've said to you before, I am done with religion. If someone says to me, as happens from time to time where I'm wearing the chaplain hat, they say, oh, you're a religious person and I take much joy in saying, no, I'm not. Because religion's all about looking for God and guess what? God's found us. 
We don't have to look anymore. We don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to work. We don't have to toil. We don't have to try and parade our good works before God and say, I hope this is enough to be acceptable for you because God's looked at us and said, I see Christ and that's enough. You see, the difference between Christianity and every other religious system under the sun is, it can be summarised in two words, done or did. Or do, sorry, done or do. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? That's what religion is all about. What is Christianity all about? It's what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done for us. That's the message of grace for us. And we're going to leave it there today. I'd love to unpack that one a little bit longer, but my fault. We're running a bit behind schedule this morning. Uh, next week, we're going to continue this little series that we're doing, Silly Things That Smart People Believe. Some of the apostles.